I have hereditary high cholesterol, so I, I wasn't starting from a good place. I went out of my way to make it clear I don't blame my job for it, but that was part of it. But it wasn't all of it, not even close to all of it. Right. I am an obsessive person, and so I took the job to extremes where in my own spare time, I was trying to chase flavor and trying to figure out the codes to making things as delicious as possible at home. And then out and about, I was really obsessed with ordering the most beautiful things to order for my Instagram or just wanting to eat only the most delicious things. Well, it was part of your job. I mean, (laughs) I ate a lot for quote unquote research, but that was my choice. Nobody was making me. Yeah. But also food is comfort. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. It was a stressful period and I was definitely feeling depressed and stressed and anxious and I think that probably factored in as well but it was just sort of a perfect storm that was former food show host and podcaster Rob Patrone he and I go way back which is why I was even more upset when I heard about his recent heart attack and brush with death Welcome back to Bucketless Careers. I'm Crystal Laurie. Yes, I opted for a dramatic start to this episode for a reason. Rob's taken stock of his life and career clearly because he had to. Being a touring food show host that was paid to taste often very indulgent dishes, it was undoubtedly a bucketless career, one that he landed after years in the TV news business as a reporter in different markets throughout the country. And we'll take you through his journey. But for various reasons, this Brooklyn, New York-based married father of two says he is now where he always wanted to be professionally. He's just released a documentary about COVID's impact on the culinary world with a specific focus on New York City and the New York metro area exactly a year after the virus shut it all down. His show, Hot Takes on a Plate, is consistently growing on the podcast charts, And Rob is changed. He has a lot of wisdom to share with us in this episode. Let's take a listen. Rob, thanks for being a guest on Bucketless Careers. This is going to be fun. Absolutely, Krista. Always fun to talk to you. Always. Well, I have to say I love having people on the show that I've worked with to go behind the headlines of their career journeys, because we never had the time for this. New scheduling is so crazy. I mean, I saw you in between field shoots and maybe in the editing bays, but we didn't get to do this. The makeup room sometimes. The green room. (laughs) (laughs) We were going on set. Did you borrow my hairspray? No, no, no. That wasn't wasn't your style. (laughs) No, that that wasn't me. I was more of a pomade guy, if you will. Yeah. So this will be very organic, and we're going to dig a little deeper than we would in the news days, unpacking how you got to the success you're enjoying now. But let's dial it back, Rob, to when you were hosting your food show. So clearly a cool gig. I thought of you right away for a guest. I mean, getting paid to run around to the best dining spots in New York City. You're a Brooklyn guy. And also you covered the whole New York metro area, sampling this and that. It's obviously a dream job and having your own primetime food TV franchise. So how did you get to the point of landing Restaurant Hunter? I want to start there because it's such a coveted job. And of course, we want to get into all of it, the struggles you had to overcome, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's funny. I was actually thinking about this this morning. So much of whatever we deem success in the world, it's luck. And I don't mean that in like a negative way. I don't mean that in like a discouraging way. I don't mean that to belittle anything I achieved. I obviously worked hard. I like to think I have some talent. But 
so much of it is out of our control. And what I mean by that is I never envisioned myself being a food TV host. That happened completely organically. I was out of college. I wanted to be an ESPN Sports Center anchor. I started my path as a sports producer in Atlanta, and I got to host a high school sports show. And then I moved on to Memphis, where I was originally a sports videographer slash reporter, and then worked my way up to being a sports anchor. And my wife got a great job opportunity in the city here in New York, and I'm a New Yorker. After a couple moves for my career, we moved for hers. And this was right when everything crashed, when the economy crashed. So we're talking late 2008, early 2009. Here I was going to job fairs with lines around the block and unemployment through the roof and new to a city where I didn't realize that you couldn't just get a job by being smart. You know, in other (laughs) cities I lived in, it's like if you were a TV reporter, you could get a job doing PR. And in New York, that's not how it works. You can't just be in PR and get a job being in PR. That's true. There's niches. So it's like if you do fashion and beauty PR, you can't just go do environmental PR. Everything's so specialized. I just got lucky that I happened to put my resume out there for this TV job. And it turned out they were launching this new channel, Fios One News. And I thought I was getting out of TV. I didn't think I was going from Memphis to New York. That's a big market jump if you know anything about TV. Yeah, that is a big jump for sure. It was a fledgling startup, and just being honest, they weren't paying a lot. The news director, Phil Corsentino, who you may, I don't know if you overlapped with Phil, but- Yeah, no, I worked with Phil as well. He was amazing, amazing. I consider him a mentor. and Great guy. He reached out to me like right away, which in TV, that doesn't happen. Like you don't send in your reel and like someone reaches out like three days later. Right. Didn't you just have sports pretty much on your reel in terms of your highlights? I had news on there as well. I had done, dabbled in some news. I had an agent at the time that was like, you know, you really should do some news too. It'll open up some doors for you. He had reached out to me and was basically like, you might be too good for us. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm unemployed. I'm not too good for anyone. Like I need a job here. Yeah, right. I took the job and I was doing feature reporting to start, feature news reporting. It was a brand new station and the learning curve for everybody was kind of like, you know, figuring it out as you go along. And I pitched the idea of doing a dining segment because I thought it'd be fun. I didn't have aspirations to host a TV show. Basically, long story short, Verizon executives were looking to add programming to the channel. And just so happened, one of the big wigs on the Verizon side, Michelle Webb, really liked the work I was doing and was like, we should make that a TV show and call it Restaurant Hunter. In the TV world, people work forever to try to pitch ideas and get TV shows. And here I was just being handed one. That's luck. That's just the right place, right time. I mean, I made a little bit of the luck because I had the idea for the segment. But yeah, if that moment came along in 2017, let's say, and Fios was established at the time, and I just came along and said, I want to do a dining segment, it wouldn't have happened. Well, it's also a testimony to just asking and trying. Had you had any food experience per se? No. (laughs) Did you grow up like with parents who were awesome in the kitchen? You just loved food and wanted to talk. Yeah. I mean, look, this is the thing. I I think everybody has food experience. We all eat. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) This idea of like you have to be some kind of like, quote unquote, expert or go to culinary school. I mean, a lot of chefs who own restaurants never went to culinary school. But I had a grandfather who owned a restaurant and I spent time in it as a kid. So I was around it a lot. Mm hmm. I had done some writing for a food blog when I got to New York, and that's kind of, I think, what put the idea in my head. Okay. 
I wasn't like a chef. I wasn't somebody who, th- this wasn't the plan all along. I'm going to be on Food Network someday. It just happened organically. Right. And so there you go. You don't have to be an expert. So you got the gig. They said yes. And the show has won many Emmys and was really one of their, I think, most successful programs. Talk a little bit about how you grew it. Well, I was just hoping not to screw up. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) and what I tried to do is I tried to take the approach of everybody eats. This is going to be a very democratic show. It's going to be for everyone. It's not going to be for just quote unquote foodies. Mm hmm. Diversity was always the backbone of the show. And what I mean by that is it was diversity of cuisines. It was diversity of price points. We put a lot of places that you didn't used to see on TV on TV. So when I started doing the show, local food media only wanted to go cover the newest, brightest, shiniest object. What was the new restaurant opening? What was the new this? And I'm like, uh, there's this like 50 year old restaurant over here that's got like an amazing story to tell. You can zig that way. I'm going to zag that way. I want to go hear this story. We did diversity of geography because the show started on Long Island, and it's a very long island. There is a lot of space there. And if you focus on one area, you're going to have a lot of viewers missing out. But also diversity of the voices and the faces that we put on. That was always important to me as well to make sure that everybody got representation. That was kind of the start. And in terms of growing it, that also happened organically because It's this interesting paradox of sometimes the less you know, the better a storyteller you can be. And what I mean by that is you have to learn it yourself, so you have to explain it better to other people. And you have to be able to put it in a way that they'll understand it too. But then you start learning more, and that opens new doors and new avenues. But you have to be careful you don't become too much of an insider where now you're talking over 90% of your audience's head. Hmm. So in terms of growing it, A lot of it was just trying to tell good stories, it resonating with people, which it did. And then the rest kind of followed. Well, something was working and it was singular in that regard. I agree. I always enjoyed the show. And when did it end exactly? And how was that for you? That wasn't an easy time, obviously, because Verizon shuttered the station and all of us were out of work. That's exactly what it was. It wasn't a planned ending. It was shocking. I remember where I was when I got that news. I don't remember, Krista, were you working full-time at the time or were you freelancing? I was freelancing just on the anchor desk. Gotcha. So for me, I was on vacation in Montana with my family visiting close friends and staying at their house. And I got a text from a former colleague of ours, Christine Sloan, who hosted the New Jersey version of Restaurant Hunter. And she had texted me something like, have you checked your work email? And it was a Saturday and I'm going... What is going on? I have my, you know, my work phone was like turned off. (laughs) Like I'm in Montana here, you know, (laughs) and I'm getting a week off and I'm like, this can't be good. And of course I open it up and it's the email to let us know that in 90 days, the station is going to fold and everything that was happening. Wow. 90 days. It's just like, what? (laughs) Right. I went into just a tailspin. Yeah. I'm not going to even pretend I didn't. I broke down. If I'm not mistaken at the time, I think my wife was doing freelance work. So I was like the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. Pressure. And you're just going like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And then it was weird. After a couple of hours, I just shook it off. I was like, all right, let's go to work. New chances to do new things. So let's go get this. Let's go attack it. Luckily, my wife in that time frame landed a really good full-time job, so that took some of the pressure off. But again, we talk about luck. It goes both ways. You can have good luck, bad luck. For me, 
everything felt really good and optimistic. And I was taking all these meetings with production companies and talking about the next thing. And there were some people who wanted to continue doing local food TV with me in some form or another. And then that January is when I had a heart attack. And then right after that, it was COVID and productions were shut down everywhere. The timing was just not good. Whoa, right. So you actually already are leading into what I wanted to bring up because I thought to myself, I wonder if this was that time, which was clearly challenging for you. Was that a time when you were overeating? And we are going to talk about your health scare. You wrote a piece in the Washington Post, Inside Edition covered it. And the title, I mean, food was my life until a heart attack at 41 almost killed me. Clearly a pivotal moment in your life and career. So let's talk about it. Yeah, The Washington Post piece, I put a lot of thought and effort into that. And even with all of that, it's like I could have gone into so much more in depth, you know? Yeah. I have, as I said in the piece, I have hereditary high cholesterol. So I I wasn't starting from a good place. I went out of my way to make it clear. I don't blame my job for it, but that was part of it. But it wasn't all of it, not even close to all of it. Right. I am an obsessive person. And so I took the job to extremes where... In my own spare time, I was trying to chase flavor and trying to figure out the codes to making things as delicious as possible at home. And then out and about, I was really obsessed with ordering the most beautiful things to order for my Instagram or just wanting to eat only the most delicious things. Well, it was part of your job. I mean, (laughs) I ate a lot for quote unquote research, but that was my choice. Nobody was making me. Yeah. But also food is comfort. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. It was a stressful period. I was definitely feeling depressed and stressed and anxious. And I think that probably factored in as well. But it was just sort of a perfect storm. I had gotten some bad medical advice, too, a couple years prior doctor had run some tests and basically was like, you don't have anything to worry about for probably five or 10 years. Mm. It ended up not being true. But yeah, it was it was a lot of stuff. The biggest thing with it, the thing that I'd like to address is just that as bad as the moment was where I, I could have died, is the aftermath. You get PTSD from something like that. Anyone who's ever been through something like that You start to question everything. You question your body. You question what you eat. It's constant nonstop. Right. And it takes a little while to rebound from that. It takes time and it takes effort. I would imagine. And then you throw a pandemic on top of it. I have a hard time complaining about my lot in life. Right now, it's a pandemic. We're all going through our own personal something. I don't want to sound like I'm bemoaning, but these are the hands that were dealt. Sometimes it's a, a lucky one and sometimes it's not. What's different about you today? I know we've lost... 35 pounds. How do you think you've grown from it? I mean, lifestyle changes are obvious, but is there more, do you feel? I think I'm less intense. I think I've learned to mellow out a little bit. If you're in a field like we're in, we've been in, there is a little bit of a competitive side to things, you know, trying to be the best you can be. Comparing yourself, so much comparison. Yeah. And I've just kind of learned to let it go. It's funny because when I did Restaurant Hunter, a lot of people didn't know this. I wasn't just the host. I was the executive producer. And I always knew after that job, the next job would probably be an either or, not both. I'd either have to be a producer or a talent, probably not both. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a unique situation. I think I I always had sort of this like paralysis by overanalysis about it all. Like I can't decide which one I want to do. And I think this reset, if you will, I've decided not that I'm totally giving up on talent. I have a podcast, Hot Takes on a Plate. I enjoy it. I'm more interested in producing. 
I think that's kind of where I feel like my passion is right now. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure and stress from having to be on, especially on camera. You got to worry about how you look and this and that. Yeah. I'm kind of over that. <laughs> you know? I get it. I remember we talked about this and you know, this is a good opportunity since we're talking podcasts to mention that you were consulting on mine and you helped me develop it. And we talked about the concept of not being on TV and how would we feel about that? And would we miss it? Or would it be more just about people saying, how come I don't see you anymore? Is it about how you feel authentically? Or is it the answer that you dread because you're worried about what other people thinking? And once you can put that mental clutter aside, you're much more free to do what is more relaxing to you. It's interesting because I feel like I've had a couple of resets in my life. I think the first one was when I moved to New York. I quit my TV job in Memphis, which was a big deal to me. Like, oh, my God, I just quit my TV right. job. And who quits TV, right? Do you ever get that question, too? <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> I've gotten that. Yeah. And then I went through a period of almost six months unemployed, and it was good for me. Because at the time, my whole identity was wrapped up in my career. I was Rob Patron, the, the sports anchor, Rob Patron, the TV guy. And I got to learn to just be Rob Patron, the friend and family member. Yeah. The person that people close to me care about and they don't really care about my job. It's really not that important in the grand scheme of things. I love that. Sometimes we fall back into old habits. Time goes on and I get a primetime TV franchise. And honestly, I haven't always been comfortable with fame. It could be a little unsettling when you're out in public and strangers come up to you and you're with your family. And at least that's just me. Some people are built for that. Some people love that and good for them. But mm -hmm. I think this moment now has reminded me that I like the creative outlet, but a little anonymity is not the worst thing in the world either. Talk about hot takes on a plate and what you're doing now with the show and you know your pivot to podcasting. Was it tough to ramp up for you? Because I found I was more nervous about it than I needed to be. Podcasting is something I had wanted to do for years. I'm kicking myself that I did not start it when <laughs> yeah. I had a TV platform to promote it. Mm -hmm. That is the biggest challenge with podcasting. Now, Krista, you're super talented. Thank you. But it's like this. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. There's a lot going on out there. <laughs> you have like Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen putting out podcasts <laughs> together as a team and Spotify <laughs> promoting it. Like, how do you compete with that? You don't. It used to be like the wild, wild west with podcasting. Again, this goes back to luck and timing. Yeah. I got lucky with timing with Restaurant Hunter. That's why I was able to make it successful. The stars aligned. And right now, podcasting is a little bit more challenging in that sense, especially if you're more independent. I wish I had started it earlier, but I'm glad I did it. And I don't have any regrets because what it's been and I didn't know this going into it. It's been such a great networking tool. Yeah. You just get to meet people. It's a chance to call up people that you wouldn't have a reason to call up or email before doing that. And you can actually make a connection with somebody on a podcast because you're asking them questions about themselves and they're kind of seeing the way you think and you're kind of seeing the way they think. I wouldn't have that piece in the Washington Post if not for my podcast because I had the Washington Post food editor, Joe Yonan, on, and we I think we hit it off. Maybe he would say differently. I don't know. But I always liked him. I thought he was a very thoughtful food editor and the things he puts out. And so it's just a chance to meet people. It just kind of works out that way. And you said that to me because you are consulting for people who are interested in launching podcasts. And it was very valuable the way you approached it to say it is what this can lead to. I mean, enjoy it along the way. But I think it's about opening doors. Let's talk about what you've just released. I was very excited to listen to it. It was a part one of a series chronicling COVID's impact on the culinary world, specifically in New York. 
because you've been so engrossed in that. I loved the first one. You know, I happen to have gone to high school with Chef Jerry DeJesus. Jerry's great. <laughs> the one you interviewed from New Rochelle, New York, one of the restaurants that was smack dab in the middle of an early hot zone in the early stages. So what are you trying to achieve with this in this time capsule, if you will? So the podcast, of course, Hot Takes on a Plate, we, we I'm doing, I keep saying we, it's just me with the podcast. <laughs> true you're with the believe network right we're both with the awesome believe podcast network so true shout out to believe yes the podcast that you're referring to it's a series called 86 how a global pandemic rocked the world's culinary capital and it's all about how restaurants sort of had to adapt to a pandemic in new york here and it actually started as a documentary like a like a video documentary it was me reaching out to some former restaurant hunter colleagues i put the call out and said hey we're not doing anything right now and it looks like we might not be able to do anything for a while with this COVID thing you guys want to do a, a documentary and you have an awesome team if i recall correctly yeah, yeah. And so four of them responded. It was uh, Christian McLaren, Carl Fernandez, Grant Thonak, and Pete Fiorillo. Yep. We just started doing like weekly Zoom calls discussing it. And in March of last year, I just started doing interviews via Zoom with different people I knew in the industry. And one conversation would lead to another. And next thing you know, I had 15 or 16 people I had talked to and I was having follow up conversations with and we were going out and safely and smartly shooting B roll and and just seeing where it would go. For all of us, it's a very part-time thing, and that's the challenge. So it's it's hard to kind of really get it going the way you want it to right now, because life got a little bit busy for all of us, which is a good thing. But it's still being shopped around as that. I thought, in the meantime, let's just release some of the content as a podcast, just so people can hear what it is and see where it goes, and maybe it gets more interest going. And the response to the first episode, which is titled Ground Zero, the events in it time out with this moment we're in right now here in March. That was meaningful because I kept thinking, wow, where was I? Where was I when it was the first day of lockdown? And yeah. it brought it all back. Yeah. No, totally. You forget sometimes where you were and what it felt like. Time changes our memories. So these conversations are time capsules because they happened when these things were happening. The response has been fantastic. Good. I've been blown away by it. The feedback I've gotten in terms of people just really being moved by it. I've had more than one person say that they cried, which really like, well, wow. Well, I was like, I'm okay. I'm not totally shocked. There was some emotion from, I think, one of the business owners who had COVID. She was like one of the first. Yeah, Ellen Sledge. Yeah. And just the fear. And But no, I mean, I think you're on to something with this series. I'm really excited to hear more about it. Instead of doing them like back to back to back to back, I'm going to just release them to coincide with the moments a year later. So mm -hmm. I'm going to release one in late April that's going to be titled Adapt and Pivot. And it's going to be about, all right, now how did the restaurants adapt and respond now that the confusion part is over? And then hopefully we'll release one in maybe in June about anger, because I think there was a boiling point where everybody's frustrations got really intense for a lot of reasons with a lot of things going on, not just in the restaurant world. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of wrapped up what we were doing from a production standpoint early September to time out with when indoor dining reopened for the first time in New York City. So yeah. that would be like the last chapter because it's a story that, quite frankly, I think went on longer than we thought it would. Mm. <laughs> if you remember back to like last March, I think we all thought, OK, it's going to be a few months, maybe six months. Oh, God, can you imagine that? Like, we, I don't think we really fully digested like a year later 
we're going to be in the same boat. 100% true. No one expected this. I, I think you're right. Speaking of what to expect, do we have any other projects that you can talk about? Are you just done with on camera for good? I never say never. I'm open. Yeah. I'm open to networking, as they say on LinkedIn. I, you know, <laughs> like it's been a little bit of a one arm tied behind my back the last year because of the pandemic, having kids that are not in school full time or in school at all and having to pick up the slack there. And, and you know, I've got one who's in kindergarten who was in pre-K when all this started. That's not a child who can just do their schoolwork on their own. No, they're little. It's been a little bit challenging, but because I have comorbidity, I got my first vaccine dose Woo-hoo. a little over two weeks ago. I'm going to get my... Second one at the end of the month will make it easier for me to go out there and do things. And hopefully feels like there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Finally. Oh, definitely. You know? I feel that too. I feel it. So I want to get to the point in this podcast where I push you a little further for, you know, actionable steps to apply, you know, sort of from your story to the listener's story. Like, how do you honor yourself authentically? Because we can read your resume, Rob Patron, listen to your shows, but I'd like to get your take on a practical toolkit, if you will, creating work that allows you to show up every day excited to do something fulfilling and ideally profitable. <laughs> yeah, that's the challenge, right? It's an like- easy question, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it, that's that's sort of the balancing act. Yeah. I'm the idiot who followed my dreams out of college. You know, I'm the guy who said I'm going to, you know, go be on TV. I don't know if I'm as much this way, but I used to be very much fueled by doubt. If somebody doubted me, that's all I needed and I was going to run through a wall to prove them wrong. Mm. When I was in college, I went to James Madison University. Our media arts and design d- department had a end of the year picnic. And the department head was making small talk with everybody and starts making small talk with me and asking me what I'm going to do when I get out of school. And I told him I was going to be a sports anchor. And he laughed at me (laughs) and he said, you're you're not going to be on TV. Wow. And he was like trying to talk me into like doing, I don't know, motion graphics or something else. And I was just like, I spent my, 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 it wasn't my money, it was my parents' money, but the money was spent here to, to do this. And who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? I hope you send him a link to your show at some point. Oh, oh gosh. I thought, I mean, they, they sent out some fundraiser one time and I literally thought about sending like a picture of me with, you know, a bunch of Emmys behind yeah, me. Yeah, you know. don't clip those wings, man. At this point, yeah. it's like whatever. But I just think really to find your authentic self, one, block out what other people say. Just you mm-hmm. have to block it out. This goes back full circle to the whole luck thing. Because I think the luck thing can sound sort of like a negative, but think of it as a positive in the sense that you never know, one, when your luck is going to come. Two, also think about it. Your worth is not tied to anything. If you're smart, you're smart. Don't let anyone else say otherwise. And just because it hasn't hit for you doesn't mean it can't hit or won't hit. Maybe it's just not your time. Maybe the timing is bad. Timing. But there's a million advice, whatever, out there and people talking about maybe spending a half hour every morning working on your side hustle or whatever. I mean, all that's great. I think what it comes down to is, one, be realistic with what you can and can't do with your time. Obviously, we all have bills to pay and whatever. But don't let other people crush your dreams. Understand that if, if you have a passion for something, just go for it. Go for it in any way you can. Because obviously everybody's got different limitations and things, but don't let other people tell you what you can or can't do. Yeah, amen. So as we're wrapping up, Rob, I want to know where will you send us, you know, best platforms for you right now that would be a next step to follow you if our listeners aren't already listening to Hot Takes on a Plate? Yeah, Hot Takes on a Plate. You can find anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
search hot takes on a plate. My personal website is robpatrontv.com. It's also my Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle, robpatrontv. They can follow me there as well. I love to have conversations with people and, and kind of see where it goes. I'm so glad we did this. This was perfect. Me too. Um, <laughs> as always, I can't wait to see more of what you bring to the table. Oh, I just came up with that. I swear to God. <laughs> no pun intended. Bada ba boom. Thanks for being on the show, Rob. Be well, my friend. Thanks, Krista. Thank you for being with me here on the show. My website is a bit of a mouthful, but it's easy to remember. It's bucketlistcareerspodcast.com. The episodes are there, but I'll be adding some videos from time to time in addition to updating blogs. So check it out, rate, and review the show if you have a moment. Remember, if you want to chat with me between episodes, you can DM me at Bucketlist Careers on Instagram or Facebook. I'm there too. I'd love to connect with you and hear your feedback, or if you have someone who'd be a great guest, let me know. And if you haven't already, I'd love it if you would subscribe. Join me next time right here on Bucketlist Careers. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.